because it's an hour walk because it's like you know two and a half miles up the road and then i'm sitting outside a pub um that the locals call mcstabs <laughs> so... <laughs> to the Sunday Roast. We're doing a Scottish special. Hello. Can you all introduce yourselves to the audience, just in case they don't know who you are? Random Scottish History. Please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Jenny. I run Random Scottish History, rsh.scot. We've got books published, 200-odd YouTube videos. We get out and about these days. We break into castles and all sorts. It's great. Um, Podcasts, the whole thing, you know. uh, For the site, we're uploading Satan's Invisible World Discovered at the moment, which was a 17th century publication full of possessions and witchcraft, etc. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I'm here to talk politics, which I try and shy away from on Random Scottish History because I want it to be ex- amenable and accessible to all. But uh, I do have my views and I don't mind letting loose on the Sunday roast occasionally. <laughs> we, we're, we're aware. We saw that off camera just now. The passion. Um, David McGuinness, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, hey, I'm David McGuinness. I'm also known as Indy Truck Davy. And I'm a, a um, political blogger and blogger. I started that blogging back in two, uh, blogging back in 2005 and newspaper comments and things like that. I then went on to start broadcasting recorded programs from the cab of my truck uh, on YouTube. And they have recently um, broadened out onto using a streaming service to allow us to broadcast on YouTube on the Two Davies channel, um, as well as a stream on Facebook at the same time. So I've been around for about six or seven years um, broadcasting and about a year and a half broadcasting on YouTube. I would introduce my wonderful co-host Max, but he's not here, so lava lamps in instead. Max might join us as we go along. Apparently something happened with Scotland, Westminster. Davey, what, what's going on? What happened from the, from the Scottish perspective in Westminster last week? Because from an English perspective, I think we've really had just the English perspective. We haven't really seen the Scottish perspective down south. Well, what we've had is a, um, here in, a, the impression here in Scotland is that the, the two establishment parties went out the way to hijack the SNP opposition day motion on a debate on what's going on in Gaza. Now, the reason why it was hijacked has been missed by most people. Everybody's talking about playing politics and Labour were going to take a scudding um, because they had X amount of MPs were going to vote with the SNP and, of course, the Conservative Party had the same problem, but they, they, they were only facing expulsion to the party the way the Labour MPs were ex, uh, space, uh, facing expulsion from Labour. As we remember, last time when the 50 odd MPs voted for the SNP motion, they were kicked out of Labour um, and faced deselection. So everybody's talking about how this had to do with um, the Labour Party and saving the Labour Party and that the Speaker was strong arm. Well, actually, Mr. that's pissing the wind. What was actually going on was the two establishment parties had to protect the establishment from the SNP motion because if it had passed, it would have recognised that Israel was committing the war crime of collective punishment. And by extension, that would have meant that the UK vast military industrial complex would have been denied access to Israel and it would erect the UK and US reputation on the international state, uh, stage because it would be admitting that they were complicit in the war crime of collective punishment by Israel because they are giving Israel military aid, um, diplomatic aid, and cash and weapons. That's what it was really about. The rest of it was a drama. From what we heard, it all seemed to come down to wording, which is the key thing here. Um, from the SNP, as you said, the wording was so important that it was actually going to say, right, you're not able to supply Israel with military hardware. Labour came in, said that the wording needed to be changed, but didn't exactly specify as to why. Just that 100 MPs from the Labour Party wouldn't vote for it. And therefore, it wouldn't. there's a good chance it wouldn't go through. The Conservative government didn't seem to want to, want to know. They did not want to get into it. And, we, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what's happened in, in London and with Lee Anderson a little bit later, because it seems to be a repeating pattern. Don't want to get involved in her if it affects their base. Or, as you pointed out, Davey, the military-industrial complex that exists in the UK, which is one of our biggest industries. And they're making hand-over-fist money on all of this. They're also huge donators to political parties like Labour and the Conservative Party. 
and they have the massive lobby groups in the Westminster system. It's the same in the US, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the bigger picture, bigger picture. I was because because we'd obviously talked about this before coming on. I went and had a bit of a look at te- like, and obviously this this relates to London as well and what's been said by Lee Anderson. It's been quite interesting just looking at the statistics, for example, suicide bombers or terrorist attacks taking place. If you look at the data for the last hundred years, you'll see that it doesn't go up until the Gulf War. All these terrorist atrocities and everything else seem to escalate after that period where the US is going in. And then you go, well, the industrial military complex is making a lot of money out of all of these things. Then you're also going oil, gas, security, and we know that, they, that that's part of the reason they go in there, because we can put records dating back to Iran. And when the Iran um, government was taken over in the 1950s, that was an MI6 CIA operation. Winston Churchill backed it. We know it because we've had all the records released. And they get rid of it because he wants to nationalise the oil industry and wants to kick BP out. So they use military strong arming to secure energy. So you look at this and you go, well, it doesn't really feel that different to 1991. Um, I'm not condoning what Saddam Hussein did in invading Kuwait, but he went in there to secure more oil resources. That's the simple, that, that's the, the whole argument with him and Kuwait was over. It was literally, it was literally a scene from the Simpsons. Remember when Mr. Burns builds a drill hole sideways and starts tapping into the school oil resources. Is literally that's what's happened. So Saddam Hussein goes in, takes over Kuwait. The, the we've got on record that George Bush Senior goes, "Yeah, fine, you're not going to have a problem for us if you go in." And it all stems from there. And it seems going back to what you were saying, David, with the military, a lot of our problems seem to be coming from the military-industrial complex and oil and gas. And it seems well, to be those major industries that are causing a lot of our problems: climate change. You see, but people must have big picture here. Mm. People were talking about SNP playing politics. People were talking about Labour playing politics. But what this really had to do was um, the UK and US not being complicit in Israel committing a war crime. Because that would have meant that they had to um, a, comply with international law and stop, a, as I say, committing resources, diplomatic resources, military resources, and financial resources to Israel. So that motion had to be wiped out. And that's really what it was all about. Um, uh, the carry-on afterwards with Lindsay Hoyle. Well, um, we had Chris Bryson, um, MP for the Ronda on Channel 4, telling us that it was grubby politics. And yes, the Speaker was strong arm by Labour. How did they do they, that, though? This is the thing. Like, if, it, if they're having a conversation with it, is it a leap from within the Labour Party or is it Conservative MPs going around saying that this happened? Because that's something that I'm finding quite odd. What was interesting was watching the the, the, the early the opposition day motion debate when Mr Hoyle came into the chamber after he'd been in the back being strong armed by Starmer and announced that he was striking down section thirty one because he thought it was unfair and it was allowing the, a Labour amendment as well, which had been fine mm. if he'd allowed the SNP motion to be presented first and voted on first. And then you could have had the two amendments, you know, but it had to be presented first, not all. The, the Labour amendment had been presented first and then voted on, which would have made the SNP think null and void all the And ahead, that would have also taken out the, the term collective punishment of the Palestinian people yeah. by Israel. I'm saying it's got to be weird for the English population, like, because they're on board with ceasefire. We've seen the protests. We've seen the numbers that these p- protests draw in. You you can't justify genocide. It's really difficult to justify dis- like genocide. So you have to go, oh no, it's really complicated. You know, like, it's this whole thing that you just don't understand. Like, instead of, because you can't justify genocide, you know. So the English people want their ministers to have not only voted the way the SNP want them to vote, but they wanted them to bring up the vote that the SNP brought forward to the table, the debate that they brought forward. So they're seeing a, a Scottish party speaking up for them when their own parties that they're soon going to have to choose between are refusing to, to have any hand in it. They're just complicit. Isn't that, you know? isn't that quite telling of the entire system as well? Because the impression I get from Scotland is that a lot of people are very frustrated because no one listens to them in Westminster. This is and another reason got... why you're you're we're speaking before about how you thought that Labour were going to make gains in Scotland. Why would they off the back of this? The SNP are the people that are speaking for everybody on this particular issue. 
and it's a headlining issue at the moment. It's horrific what's going on. No one seems able to stop it because Israel have made playing the victim their way to justify their obtaining of other people's goods and property. I would to call them out for it is for them to suddenly roll over and play victim again. I'm gonna because I'm they gonna, can't just once again they can't justify genocide. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna somewhat make it more nuanced than that because there's sixty. If we look at the polling in Israel at the moment, sixty percent are against what Netanyahu were doing. Yep. And that's something that's not really often talked about in the media. I've seen so many Jewish folk, come in. and there was the um, the uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, directors that had teamed up and won the award at the Berlin Awards um, recently. And the they're standing up on stage with the Palestinian one of the the Israeli directors are up on stage. They've done a documentary, um, basically showing what's going on at mm. the moment. And the Israelis standing there saying, it, back home, we live 30 minutes from each other. I have all of these capabilities. He has none of these capabilities. He's not classed even as a citizen. He can't vote. He's under military law. That Israeli guy is facing a lynching when he gets back to Israel. They are calling him out for that. They are saying that he's an anti-Semite because that's always the go-to, isn't it? And not to mention how the Palestinian guy is going to fare if he ends up like having to go home. They're going to be looking for these people. Even the Germans that gave them the award for their documentary are all over the newspapers going, no, 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 that was totally anti-Semitic and we didn't expect them to come out and say that stuff on stage. It's like, you know. It, I, I am going to say it's a complicated issue. There is, there's no two ways about it. the whole thing. I, I can sit here. Yeah. It's complicated than it you're is making complicated. it out to be, isn't it? There, there is just overt stealing. Mm -hmm. and overt murder on the go here at present in gaza yeah it's, but that's you, not then, complicated then you go, to be but then you go from the entire set of decades of kicking the living crap out of each other that's yeah. where the complication comes in that's that's you where kill members of a family mm -hmm. you make everyone connected to that family suddenly have the potential to want to seek retribution for that yeah, and when you're doing that over decades what do you think is going to happen yeah 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 Hundred percent. This is what it was always coming to, but how no one was able to step in until hundreds of thousands have been displaced and killed baffles me. I've been campaigning for Palestinian rights since I was sixteen at Faslian Peace Camp. I did a die-in where we were seeking sanctions against Israel. This was back in two thousand, twenty-four years ago. No one, no one bothers. Like no one has done anything. To step in before now and say we know exactly where this is headed to we know what you want we know what your goal is and it's not possible these are people that live there own this there it's not yours you have no right over it a book does not give you right over this the laws make it so that this is not yours and you have no place in going there or treating these people the way that you're treating them as subhuman you know it's, it's interesting that a similar sort of situation is what happened in korea where you had north and south kicking the crap out of each other and they were supported on both sides by very rich backers and in the end they put it into militarizer and it hasn't stemmed the problems kim jong il is just insane and you know launching rockets over japan but it definitely calmed the situations down between the two sides and it's interesting to see that that hasn't been put forward as the solution cyprus is another one demilitarized zone and not saying it's great i'm saying it has calmed things down and essentially that is really what you want to see happen and yet no demilitarized zone has been put in place in west bank gaza none of it you've so got israeli ministers on tv saying this piece of land that would be great as a soccer field. They're not. They're not hiding what their aim is here. You've got people been, having raves after every ambush. That hasn't been hidden since 1967. Um, the, um, the 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 Egyptian Jordan uh, war, the the sixty war with Egypt and Jordan, where they overran and um, the West Bank, they overran Gaza. And there's been a legal annexation going on ever since. But Egypt don't want to take charge. It's interesting as well. You hear a lot of political commentators say, "Oh, why don't Israel? Why, does, why don't Egypt taking the refugees from Gaza?" What isn't reported in the news is that Egypt's got a huge problem up in the Mount Mount Sinai region with terrorist organisations, which they can't handle. It's it's very akin to to the issues of Afghanistan, like 
hold the high ground in a mountainous region and it's an absolute nightmare to get out and it seems to be one of the key elements that's stopping egypt wanting to take those refugees because they're concerned that so much damage has been caused with the fighting between palestine and israel over the last five six decades that members of Hamas will just go straight into the, the mount sinai region and cause problems for egypt and you you there doesn't seem to be too many solutions here. We were, we were talking a couple of weeks back as well. Are you aware that there's talk with Israel and Saudi Arabia and another a number of other countries about potential canal going along uh, the Israel-Egypt border? And of course, what, what pops out at the very end? Gaza. Yeah. And why would you want Gaza having control over something that powerful? And it would be powerful. It'd be up there with the Suez. It would be an economic boom for the region. That's why I reckon they're building the line and a couple of other big projects by Saudi Arabia and the, I think it's the Red Sea. Go on, David. You, you look like you want to say That's something. That's why we have the hypocrisy over this paper from the river to the sea. If I remember right, I've seen Netanyahu in the UN with a map with a Gaza and it talking about this canal from the river to the sea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, that's really yeah, and so th there's been an argument that Hamas pushed because they saw that map and they were fuming, and so they went, let's retaliate. The big difference, and uh, a nuanced argument I would have there would be those the rockets that they developed have not been there for three weeks. They've been developed over a number of months, not in that short period. It was something that they were always going to happen because it looks like, I, I look at it from a military perspective and say that was the last roll of the dice. And they probably knew that this retaliation was going to come in and probably hoped that it would come in and radicalize people in the area. People have every right to prepare retribution and try and find a way out of that because nothing they've done has worked. Nothing is... No. They, they, they are an oppressed and brutalized people. They, they are born with no hope, basically. Like... People use the word genocide quite a lot and they tend to associate it with World War II. I would more associate it with the tactics that you saw in in Native American and what the Europeans did. It's so what what the Americans and the British did when they first turned up is that they would say to people, pioneers, Scottish people, Irish people, go and build a farm on that border, on the border of the United States. Uh, we'll give you a plot of land and we'll give you some money to go and do it, and you can set up a farm and a homestead, and it's all your property. They'd go there, and the Native Americans would come back because they were migratory. They come back and go, what the hell is this farm doing on our land? Because they recognise it's their territory, even though the boundaries weren't marked. Nine times, like, Most of the time, there wasn't a problem. There would be just conversation or curiosity, and they'd move mm. on. But on the other occasion, there would be conflict. Fighting would break out, and the American or British military would step in, kill the Native American population because they had better technology, and take over the land. That seems to be what's happening here. It's straight out of the Scottish American... Went. Go, go ahead, they would wait until the men would go off to the cities or the country to work, and then they would chuck the women and children out the houses during the the Scottish clearances. Yes, there's that analogy as well, isn't there? Just, it's a normal tactic. It's how to make the job easier, you know. Pick your pick the moment where they're the weakest. Yeah, yeah. We have international law to look at here, and international law is quite clear. Um, a, if there's a military occupation or if it's necessary, you have to look at the people and. It has to be short as, as it can be until the, the people have organised themselves again and can um, a work a, properly as a state again. That's the rules. Israel has been there for a, a, since a 67 and they have been creeping and creeping in the West Bank as people have been thrown out of their lands for settlements to pop up. It's annexation. It's colonisation. And that's against the law. Yeah, it's it's been condemned in the UN. I I follow Noam Chomsky mainly on this and his readings and his interpretation and the events that have taken place over there. I mean, we we would all like to see the two state solution. It's been interesting as well reading and listening to him recently talk about it because he says he thinks it's a done job. Like it's not you. The two state solution is no longer possible it, 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 as much as we would like it to happen. Because the international community can bring pressure to bear, not includes America, UK, Canada. Um, Australia and, and, and the people who are no bringing international affair to get yeah. them back to where, a, um, where the border was prior to 67. You could uh, look at the Arab League's sub, uh, submission to the International Court of Justice yesterday. As far as they're concerned, actually, as they look at the place there, they've been equally misogynistic in any of the land. Well, Saudi Arabia don't want to know, do they? Uh, well, Israel are a nuclear power, correct me if I'm wrong. What's that? 
Israel are a nuclear power. They have full capabilities on the, the world yes. stage when it comes to warfare. Yes. Who the fuck is going to try and make them go back to their previous borders? No one. It's just, I mean, as much pressure as you can put on, you put embargoes. Never have I mean, because the situation we've got at the moment, you put an embargo, I could instantly see Russia stepping in and going, we'll finance you. We'll, we'll chuck in the cash. I could in instantly see that happening. They'd have no issue doing that. And and this is the this is the problem with international politics. You take away and put an embargo on Israel of some sort and someone else who doesn't like us, and there's plenty out there, would just step in and go, we'll finance you. We'll chuck you the cash. China. It wouldn't surprise me. China China have really hacked off over everything that's been going on over, over Taiwan at the moment and what the US has been doing over there and consider it a level of interference that the US shouldn't be doing. So... This is this is the problem that I always see. It's it's so freaking complicated. That's why no one seems to be able to to resolve the issue. And as much as I agree with you, David, I would love everyone to step in and just go, look, let's just go back to those borders. We'll put in a demilitarized zone. That would be great. But unfortunately, the world, as you said, doesn't work like the way we would like it to. Like the population yeah. wants one thing, and the government who are then bought off by big oil, big gas, and the military industrial complexes say no that's that's not how it's going to operate well you were talking Which, about like oil being the basis of war and what have you and it's because everyone wants oil which means that when we get ourselves determination back the eu want an opec country as part of their union because that's that's powerful in itself you know mm. having access like in a supply that's yours you know so i can i would want to see a Scotland in the future having rejoined the EU and being actually at the table in a position to actually affect change, some sort of change in these major world issues that are on the go at the moment. Because can, Westminster is not, like, it, it is in no position. If anything, it has to toe America's line. I think it kind of became kind of clear during the Iraq thing that Westminster was something of a subsidiary to the American government. Um, so I think Westminster would find it quite hard to to lead America in the way of affecting the kind of change we want to see with the whole Palestinian That's an interesting thing point, Kenny, when you talk about uh, Westminster being aligned to or being shackled to US uh, diplomatic policy and US um, uh, foreign policy, because it's absolutely true. And I don't know if he's aware of this right now, but the, the NDA between um, a... The, the UK and the US is a, um, the nuclear defence lines is up for renegotiation now. It's renegotiated every 10 years. So run about now, next six, eight weeks. They don't, they generally don't tell us about it. They sometimes want the, the vote in private, so we don't know about it, but it's coming up. So if you're interested in nuclear disarmament, now's the time to talk to your MP. The Scottish government want the nukes yep. back down like, it's time for people in England if they weren't ready at the nukes to speak. They don't them. care, it's up here. Because <laughs> the NDA um, between the, the UK and US is on its 10 years and it's up for renegotiation now. As I say, it's normally done in a private sitting and a private vote, but it is coming up. Um, I haven't got the date to hand, or maybe uh, on Sunday I'll drop a link into the comments um, uh, with the articles for the defence. Um, a... Yeah, I would share those. Westminster then, London. Shall we move on to that? Because <laughs> that was an absolute mess this week as well with Lee Anderson in London and the racism and and I'm happy to call it out instantly as a level of racism. I think Tories seem to be having a problem with their vocab at the moment by calling it just wrong. I find it weird how they cherry pick which racist to target in their party because it seems like it's a generic go-to for them. They're They're very racist in their anti-immigration rhetoric in general. Um, so I find it weird that this one guy has just been picked out and I don't know. It's it's very unsurprising as all. Well. He's just another Tory racist in my mind. Well, so well, Braverman got pulled up by a Holocaust survivor who said, you're using rhetoric from the 1930s yeah. Germany. Yeah. Again, that's not the first time that's been done either. No. Like, by a Tory. Like, it's so unsurprising that these people are saying these things and being very open um, but, and then but, getting called out for it. Actually, I find it weirder that they're getting so called out about it because it's so common with, amongst them. Like, but it's at a higher level. I mean, you've got the deputy leader of the party coming out and openly saying it. You've got the foreign secretary, former foreign secretary, coming out and saying it. I'm not talking like... 70s 80s where you had it 
quite open or quite direct. This is like 2020. I would suggest that the rhetoric surrounding the pro Brexit faction mm -hmm. was as equally racist, if not yeah. more so, than what we're hearing now. Again, very unsurprising, very common trait amongst these people at Westminster on the Tory I benches. I find it fascinating how they're getting away with it and how the press are getting away with it. They're demonising people who are protesting peacefully for the end to slaughter in Gaza. And they are being called extremists. They are being called all sorts. They've been, I mean, Lee Anderson, his whole point was that they'd overtaken London, that the um, Islamists had overtaken London because people are protesting peacefully to see an end to slaughter. I find that absolutely fascinating from here in Scotland looking in. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, we know this started with Braverman, where hate marches. You know, and that was the sort of uh, language being used by the Nazi party against the trade union movement in the 1930s. People have the bloody short memories. Yeah. Well, they, they don't do. know history very well. They don't know the history very well. It's something I would love to change. History, philosophy, critical thinking. It's one of the solutions to the problems that we're facing. One of the problems to the solutions to the issues of social media. Like, if you look at Finland, who do teach this stuff, they don't have these similar issues. Look at France, they don't have the similar sort of issues that we have over here. And it's because the education system's different. France is more philosophy than critical thinking. Uh, but Finland, people just don't buy, just because someone says it on Twitter, on a news outlet, that it's true. They have the ability to go, well, let's go and check the different source for that. And yet, it seems, go ahead, Jenny. I'd seen something um, someone posted, and it was, we're brought up being told that it's not polite to talk about religion or politics, but all that's led to is people being ignorant of others' religion and politics, that people should, in fact, have been brought up learning how to be courteous and and talk in a sensible way about religion and politics rather than avoid it altogether, which is very much the way my family goes with my dad being an uber Tory. Like. <laughs> because I've got friends who are Jewish and Muslim in London, and they're both, um, both groups are coming to me and saying they are concerned about being out and about in London to the point where I've got Jewish friends saying that they're hiding the Star of David. So they don't get, yeah. So you're going, and it's not like, I mean, that's quite serious if they're having to have to think like that. You're going, mm -hmm. something's not right in operation in London. The flip side of that is, as much as I've rabbited on in the past about being attacked in London, it still feels relatively safe in terms of walking around. Like, I don't feel like I'm constantly under threat, but I am, I'll, I'll say this, I'm very much aware that there is potential for a threat. And the comparison I'll make is uh, a couple of years back, I went and stayed for a couple of weeks in Italy. And I suddenly twigged after three or four days. I was like, I'm not holding onto my handbag, uh, handbag? I'm not holding onto my bag and my stuff as much. I'm not feeling as aware of who's behind me if they're walking up close. And you're suddenly going, actually, this tension is playing around in the back of your head. So I... Uh, Love to hear your thoughts on that, because it's definitely something that I'm aware of at both sides. Both For women, that's a way of life. Walking home from, like, a five-minute walk home from from a station in the dark, you've got your keys in your hands, maybe, you know. Or I was told, always have a packet of polo mints in your bag, because they make your fist up, you know, better to... A way of life for for women, like in general, like I find it fascinating when your politicians do that, they're quite happy to pull the race card out and divide society, you know, um, in order to get themselves out of trouble or in order to promote one part of the the voter base or other. I just find it absolutely fascinating. I also find it fascinating that you um have Jewish and Muslim Muslim uh, Muslim friends. Hmm. I have no idea what religion my friends are. None. It's never a, a subject that's come up in conversation. You're either a good guy or a not a good guy. So for me, so I was, I've had quite an interesting upbringing. I actually um, I went to boarding school. I lived with Muslim friends. I uh, had Muslim friends at school, and you would you would know because there were certain things like, so the headmaster had a dog and they wouldn't go near the dog, and you go, oh, what's that about? And then they explain it and they say it was, you know, we consider it a dirty animal, which is a curiosity. Then you've got, uh, they wouldn't eat pork, and you also knew that they were doing prayers throughout the day. So we'll come up in conversation. It's 
somewhat similar with friends of mine who are Jewish. There's certain food they won't eat. So you bring up, you're going out, you're going to have a meal, and they go, well, I can't eat this for this reason. Or they'd have a necklace on instead of, you know, some friends have got a cross on, some friends have got the Star of David on. So it generally just come up as a natural thing without even bringing it up in conversation. Because I agree with you, Davey. Most of the time, it doesn't cross your mind. But certain instances, it could still come into conversation because they're going to go, I've got to go now because I'm going to pray. Pray. Yep. So I'll, I'll I'll come back and we'll continue this conversation or game of ping pong or whatever else. But for the majority of the time... Who are Muslim. I, I've got friends I know who are Muslim. Who, who, I know their background. But as I say, it's just something that's never come up. I don't mm. know any friends that are Jewish. I really don't. We might, the, the white scope of friends are probably there will be Jews that are Jewish people there. I just don't know. I'm afraid my pro-Palestinian st- uh, stance online has um, made some of Alex's family um, basically disowned me after several long DM conversations about how I'm just anti-Semitic and I couldn't tell them it was fuck all to do with religion. To my mind it's one people oppressing another people. They could both be atheists. I would still fight for the oppressed people, you know, like um, it had fuck all to do with religion, but they basically disowned me. So, and so even if you're just stay, saying the state of Israel, the government of Israel, that still has come across as nothing I posted was anti-Jewish. Nothing I posted was anti-a religion, but to their mind. But it's the same when it came to uh, the independence referendum. Again, brought up a no vote in Tory, but I changed my mind before the referendum, mm. and. A lot of family decided, especially like an aunt down in England, was very open. Just went, "Oh, so you're anti-English? Great!" and blocked me. I had never posted anything, and I have still never posted anything anti-English. I'm not anti-people. Mm. People have a right to their choices. I'm a big proponent of not affecting other people's choices negatively. Like uh, people can go and vote for the Tory party if they really want to, as long as they get out to the polling office and put an X in the box. I don't give a fuck. Get out and vote. Like I don't that's care who you're voting for. As long as you feel like you're informed, vote for who you want. You know. That's another interesting thing about UK politics. You know, if you have the audacity to stick your head above the parapet and say, "Now that is no great to me," you're going to get it. Let's let's go to Suella Brown's comments, and we're going to come back to Sarah Everard actually, because the police report came out this morning, and you've just talked about women going back home late at night. I mean, the report is horrific, absolutely horrific. That guy should never have been a cop. The report tends to to agree with you there, Jamie. (laughs) Yeah. One of the interesting things I found was that rather than saying that multiculturalism doesn't work, even though her parents are immigrants, she's the daughter of immigrants, their parents were immigrants, she is married to a Jewish person, she is of Hindu faith, and she is at the top of government, but apparently multiculturalism doesn't work. But the other thing I find is that they're suggesting that, you know, democracy is being attacked from this group. And I thought to myself, what, you know, and they they don't accept British values. And I thought, what are those British values? Well, I assume, you know, freedom of speech. Well, what have they done to curtail that? They've not allowed Scotland to express itself. They have stopped the protests for not my king. They've pre-arrested people before the protests happened. And they've literally used the same tactics that you see in Putin's Russia of arresting people holding a blank piece of card. And when I went through all of it, I thought to myself, when a terrorist does an attack, which is horrific, it tends to still unify the country. All these guys have done is literally divided it for 13 years in an almost divide and conquer sort of perspective. So I wanted to know your thoughts on that, because obviously I feel like they've, they've driven that wedge with Scotland and England or the United Kingdom. It's, it goes wider than that. It's not just um, the, the division that, that's now being created in Scotland. That's a political thing. England's really the right, Scotland's still on the left. Mm. Um, but when we talk about the divide and conquer, it's very interesting, especially this latest, um, uh, where the UK government has taken one stance and the population is taken another, then demonise another section of the population to try and distract to the fact that the, the, the population... UK white is completely out of sync with their political leaders. Or let's turn that in its head. Actually, the correct the, the correct way to say that is that the political leaders here in the UK are way out of sync with the population on the, on the Israel Gaza thing. But this isn't a new tactic. You just pointed out they've done it between Scotland and England when it came to um, a, the self determination thing, um, and they knew they're attacking the Muslim people to protect themselves because they um, don't want to admit there's a genocide in Gaza. Because it affects uh, Westminster's tactic 
I've, I find it interesting. You've made me think as well, and I'll bring Jenny in as well. Russia is literally at war with us, or Putin is. Again, it's that use of very nuanced language. Putin and his regime are at war with us, and yet Boris and the rest will not use them as an enemy, which I find fascinating, and use like Sadiq Khan and create him as some sort of villain. I think generally you were going to see him voted in and he's done a good job. I'm not saying it's great and it could be better and I can criticise or happily criticise, but it's generally done a good job. And they're making him out to suggest that, I mean, they're even using the same rhetoric as Donald Trump, where Donald Trump came in and said, there's parts of London that wouldn't go down, to which Boris did an amazing quip and he said, the only streets I wouldn't go down in London are ones where I think Donald Trump might be. <laughs> I just think the whole situation fascinating and who they're... They're willing to demonise a certain population, a, a proportion of the population to get themselves out of jail. And when I say out of jail, I mean out of the embarrassment that, that, that they are facing on the, the Israel-Gaza um, massacre, because it can't be called a conflict. I've yet to see a Palestinian soldier, a Palestinian tank, a Palestinian helicopter, a Palestinian warship, a Palestinian plane. Palestinian, Palestinian, the Palestinians don't have an army. So it's not a war. It can't be a war. There is no way of interpreting it as being a war. Yeah. If I if I compared it to the Vietnam conflict, what you would call the Vietnam Army quickly realised they couldn't have a straight out fight with the Americans, so then it had to go to guerrilla warfare, and that's how they they planned their tactics. And I don't see much of a difference with Hamas on that. I'd say the bigger difference with Hamas on that is the leadership that are in Kuwait, whose kids are on Instagram posting selfies and and social media. They're like multi billionaire millionaires being completely protected. And that, I would say, is one of the big differences with that type of government. I'd still call it a... I'd st I would say it was a war based on that. I'd say it's a guerrilla warfare versus... Because that's why you're not going to see tanks and warships and everything else. Warfare. We could say that it's, it, it's not asymmetric. You know, one side's clearly got all the weapons and the military arsenal and the financial backing and the international backing versus another group. Happily say that. I'd still call it a war, but guerrilla warfare more... or yeah, guerrilla warfare, I'd probably call it. No, we call it a one man's a one man's a terrorist and our man's a freedom fighter, but that's that's neither here nor there. What's interesting about your a um, guerrilla warfare tactic for the for the weaker a um a military mm. or the weaker force is believe it or not, as part of our training, my training in the UK um, military was a guerrilla warfare. And the idea was that if we were in an occupied territory, we would teach the people there. Um, to um, a organizer to get all warfare groups in order to beat the, the, the bigger neighbor. So mm. it's the sort of thing that should be going on in uh, Ukraine and things like that, you know. But yeah, yeah, warfare yeah. Is, is the norm, you know. Um, but as I say, the situation here in the UK at this point in time is, I can't help but, but, but look at it. And I mean, Lindsay Hoyle last week, that was despicable how he tried to get himself out of jail by claiming he was protecting MPs by changing the rules. When he earlier claimed the rules were out of date, and that's why he was changing the rules. Which despicable of that was, he was willing to throw the Muslim population and dog whistle to racists under the bus in order to save his skin. I'm and that's just speaking in the House of Commons. This is the guy who's, who moderates the tone of debate, and he used the demonisation of the so-called extremists who have taken over the UK as threatening AMPs. I've spoken to my MSP MP and I did they get threats. But there are about maybe that I had maybe two or three a week compared to the hundreds a day on the cost of living crisis on people not being able to properly heat their houses on on a unemployment, on high energy bills. You know, um this is the majority of their stuff. And the majority of MSPs and MPs ignore the, the stuff that's threatening because, let's face it, very seldom comes to light and it's only a couple of daft angry people with emails. This idea that it's being blown out of proportion with the Speaker of the House, this idea that people peacefully protesting about a genocide or um, a conflict on the other side of the world, if you know what I use the term, a genocide, that, this demonization of people is radicalized because they don't agree with it. 
um, two main political parties' narratives. I find this fascinating. Looking in from outside, which we are here in Scotland, we're looking in from outside. Well, Westminster politics is purely foreign politics. Like it's another whole other world. Like you know, but that that goes to what you were saying, like the divide and conquer thing. Westminster are also inadvertently pitting the English folk against the Scots because they're so set on continuing with the fact that we're only able to afford our cost of living at the moment because they're subsidising us. And the English don't want to think that their money is going to fund Scottish lifestyles of free prescription childcare. I just saw like a million pounds was given almost to just Aberdeen for funeral expenses. Like we get so much help with the financial everything of life. Um, because of and how progressive they are in in that and how they skillfully kind of budget the money that they do like get given um like by us not from Westminster um, the, that uh, Paul Steele the Labour MSP he comes out and says that uh, Britain's wealth is being distributed after London has acquired its its wealth so London has has produced the wealth and it then distributes, and he suggested that Scotland was distributed £10 billion a year by Westminster, um, by London's own earnings. Now, if Scottish money sitting in English coffers for more than five minutes before a small percentage is given back to us counts as London-generated wealth, then sure, sure, yeah, we can suggest he's maybe telling facts, but the money came from us. We've done that. Do you know what I mean? Like we were, he said 10 million that we get annually from Westminster. At the end of the 19th century, Charles Waddy, the Marquis of Butte, um, some other lawyers and, and home rulers who were very pro-union, they, they would have balked at the idea that they were in any way separatists. They did the sums over 30 years, 1861 to 1891. It came to an aggregate total of about £32 like, billion pounds that we'd been done out of in today's money in the last 30 years of the 19th wow. century. And to be honest, the, the Scotsmen that did these sums couldn't believe that Scotland had the ability to generate such wealth for it to be robbed from them. They couldn't believe Scotland was so wealthy. The The mainstream media used to print on an annual basis uh, the income to Westminster coffers from each constituent part of the UK. They did this until like 1918, 1918-1921, when it became a wee bit too embarrassing at just how much Scotland was putting compared to everybody else. Things didn't get better after the advent of oil. Like no. Scotland has continuously been the most overtaxed, underfunded, and underrepresented part of the union. And when you've got Phil from your different bias saying that Brexit is the same as Scottish determination, Brexit is seen by people as a bad thing because the European Union was overall such a good thing to Britain. Agreed? Mm. That's why Brexit's bad. We mm. lost a lot by severing ties with the European Union. I have done the work, I have done the research that just shows Scotland fighting the same fights for the same things for hundreds of years and getting laughed at and deaf ears turned to and voted against their own. And constantly, this union has never proved itself to be of benefit to Scotland. The regaining of Scottish self-determination is absolutely fuck all like Brexit. Brexit was a mistake. That union was good. That union was beneficial. The British Union, not so goddamn beneficial for Scotland. No. I wonder. I wonder. One of the biggest things that we've had as a problem with now trading with the EU is the barriers and the import checks, which are still coming in. If Scotland were to separate, unless they got an excellent trade deal agreed by both sides, that would still cut you off potentially from the market of what forty-seven million people in the UK, in London, and Wales. And... Who cares? England trade with the whole European Union, which is bigger. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I've, I've said like. We also keep the wealth that England gets from, say, our produce leaving their ports. That that gets credited to their the ports, answer, not ours. So the um, answer to trade on. has already been answered by the good by the by the Northern Ireland situation. What will happen is we'll just set up a Northern Ireland style um a 
green and red group for English goods. You'd probably be able to get straight into AFTA with Norway very rapidly. Again, OPEC country. We can get into whatever fucking union we want. It would still take years, but you would be able to do it. We can look at the well, Ukraine as an example of how long it's taking. Like They've they fast-tracked that, and it's still exactly. taking. And do you know what? See, the, um, the one of the biggest detriments of Westminster on Scotland is not devolving immigration to, to Scotland to be able to deal with its own immigration. Because we want immigrants. We want people to move here. We want people to come and set up and and learn about them and integrate and we we want all that like we're we're very inclusive in our nationalism you know we want everybody come join us you know honorary scots all around but if that had been granted to uh, to the scottish government i believe that we already ha would have the infrastructure for like better trades like checks and imports etc if we're accepting immigration immigration I'll, to our country on our own say so i'll, I'll, I'll give an even better example of that that was actually quite current the open border policy that they had during COVID was there because they'd made no prep for a pandemic at all. No track and trace, no PPE. Well, they had PPE, but not enough in stock. No no ability to actually like upscale the vaccine rapidly or, or any of that. They've made zero preparation. So in the end, they just went, yeah, let's just do herd immunity and allow anyone into the country. But if Scotland said, well, we don't want infected people coming in, you had no say, and that so that meant you had zero border control, and it was up to Westminster to yeah. come up with a manslaughter plan, yeah. which killed what hundreds of thousands. You have no say so over our own coastline or our own border yeah. with England. What's interesting about that is when it comes to animal welfare, we didn't do PSE in Scotland. Why? Because we can close the border to animal movement. Folks, I have to I really have to wind this up. I'm going to work. No bother, darling. It was nice seeing you. Thank you so much, David. Take care. You had said that you feel, and women in general feel, it's just unsafe to walk. I have to say, line. I'm actually an outlier in that. Um, Go on. So when I started working for NHS 24, what I was finding was uh, a lot of my evening shifts would finish at midnight or half midnight. And I'm not super up for paying 30 quid to get home in a taxi because there's no public transport from the area I work to home, you know. So I would walk like a couple of miles, two and a half miles up the road and then get a taxi and that would cut a tenner off my cab fare. So it was only 20 quid, you know, and I'm awake anyway and screw it. And these are like main roads that I'm walking down. There's nobody, I never ran into anybody, do you know what I mean? But see the people I worked with, oh, were they freaked out for me. They insisted that I would call the sick line on getting in just to let them know that I had actually made it home okay. One of my patrons in the States sent me a rape alarm because she did not enjoy that I did these walks. Because it's an hour walk, because it's like, you know, two and a half miles up the road. And then I'm sitting outside a pub um, that the locals call McStabs. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to say. It's not funny. This is not a funny topic. Chef now, so I don't have to, to do these things so much. But even as a Wayne, like, I, I'm all, I've almost conditioned myself not to be so worried. Like, but I'm hearing the horror stories from friends and media and, and I mean, I get it. I've, I've been scared. I've been in kind of hairy situations where, but I, I've always been that bullshit. I will just confront people if I think they're following me. I have idiopathic insomnia. Mm. So what I'd do is I would wait for the family to go to sleep and then I would sneak out a window and I would go and walk around like the town for hours. Then the sun's coming up and I would get home just in time to get ready for school. Right? <laughs> Because I didn't sleep anyway, fuck it, yeah. you know? Um, but I'm talking about, I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old at this time, you know? Wow. Um, and there was one time I'm walking home and I, I was still maybe about a mile away from the house and uh, a cop car stops and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I am fine. They're like, where are you going? I was like, home. Like, they're like, where have you been? For a walk, <laughs> you know, it's nice and quiet, you know? I could walk down the main street and no cars, it was great, you know? But they're like, you do know that there's there's appears to be someone following you. And I was like, is there? And I turned and there's like a guy, but he's still like ages away. Do you know what I mean? I, I would have been surprised if he'd even been able to see me, to be honest. Like, mm. so um and they're like, Do you want a lift? I'm like, nah, I'm fine, thank you. Like, but cheers. Um so they kind of took my name in that and then they disappeared. I sat on the curb and I waited for the guy to catch up. <laughs> and I was like, they stopped to tell me that you were following me. And he just laughed and kept walking. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because 
Fuck it. Joey. Well, what, did you, what did you think of the Sarah Everard case? What did you think of the, the, the report I mean, that came out? People need to understand that there is a far larger population than you really want to wrap your mind around of humans who have certain desires, certain um, proclivities that maybe aren't acceptable. Okay, maybe they want a person to be scared when they're trying to get it on. Maybe they are into somebody who is particularly youthful or is just in a position of far less control than they are. These people are going to obtain employment in a way that gives them access to where their interest lies. That's that's a given and they are going to consider it a perk of the job, so to speak. The question comes down to how do you vet people obtaining these forms of employment? Employment that puts you in some kind of authority um, over women, children, disadvantaged groups, because they are going to try and get those jobs. That, that's where their interest lies, you know, and they can be quite driven. They can, they can do, get degrees and things just so that they have access to a certain kind of person. So know? we've had that. I've worked as a teacher and a football coach and a basketball coach, and it's very heightened in terms of being aware of stuff like that. You have to go on a regular biannual course yep. where they teach child safety and what to look out for. And we've had yep. massive debates. Well, like, also being in a school, you're you're a mandatory reporter as I am in NHS 24. If we think there's anything untoward, we have to get social work police. You say whoever that. we feel is. I can tell you about five or six different report. stories of private schools not reporting. Very, very bizarre behaviour. When it comes not... to private schools, they have other interests. Well, you could you could argue the same with uh, state schools because of the league tables. It's one of the first things I'd scrap is because it gives you an incentive. Yeah. League tables give you two incentives that don't benefit people about uh, their education. If you've got students that are costing you more money than an average student, an SEN student, you're probably going to look to get rid of them, especially if they're not getting high grades. Mm -hmm. So when they need the help the most, the school's actually incentivized to get rid of them. Yeah. But also, you don't want to damage the school's reputation because it'll then damage your position or board of governors. You will, I have seen it, I'm aware of it, where they've pushed staff out when something a bit odd has happened instead of investigating it and announcing it and contacting the police as i said i could name six seven stories off the top of my head and that's from when i was at school with this it's really interesting you're saying about the report came out and said that essentially cousins have been caught attempting to assault a young girl before he came into the police and with inappropriate pictures of minors he said he they said they tried to get himself into the i think the london met first and they rejected him because they checked then he applied for the nuclear police force and i assume in part because they're useless and in part because they were desperate to get staff they reduced the vetting procedures and allowed him in got in worked there and then moved over. In the door. yeah because he got his foot in the door yeah and then and then internal vacancies one, are far easier to to get into than yeah and then he was, there was a culture of it. The yeah. culture's there. And yet we've been told repeatedly by the heads of the Met, there's no problem and they don't need to investigate. And it's, you're starting to go, this is what we all know, but no one's doing anything about. And he's not, he's not going to be the only one. There's going to be other police forces throughout the, like Britain with these people existing within them because they're really driven to get these jobs and they will do what they need to, to get. It's even just like adjacent jobs, even just the, like being the cleaner of a police station, just getting that kind of edge. They will literally go to any lengths. It's ridiculous. Like, but how do you solve that? Well, the only thing we can that? do is what, I mean, we were doing CRB checks, criminal record checks on staff members coming in, but it seems like that failed within the police force. And uh, you're going, and, and, that's the other shocking thing, but it's not shocking as well. It's like the level of protection he got for the stuff that he was doing that was absolutely horrific. So I, I wanted, because I'm actually, I'm not up on this, right? So in Scotland, we have something called the Disclosure Scotland. Okay, mm. now there are varying grades of Disclosure Scotland. So um, I, I actually went for a job with Disclosure Scotland, got the job. Then over the weekend, they were going to 
because you needed a Disclosure Scotland to do the job. A Disclosure Scotland is like a full background check. Now, if you've even had a warning from the police, that can do you out of a, a Disclosure Scotland of certain levels. Um, like even just just being implicated in any kind of criminal activity at all, there's no appeal. You just don't get the Disclosure Scotland that you need. You know, um, There are other kinds of Disclosure Scotland where you can say, listen, I have been arrested for this, this and this and this, but it has as you can see, no bearing on the job I'm about to do, mm. you know. So if you've been done for, I don't know, murder, but you're going to be a bank teller, you're you're unlikely to, you know, murder may be a bad one. No one wants a murderer in their books. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, you can kind of, like, justify it a wee bit, you know, to get it. Because I've been arrested quite a lot for activism with Fazley and Peace Camp. Yeah. So actually, when I came back from my weekend for my induction with Disclosure Scotland, they said, we have to terminate your contract already because you failed your Disclosure Scotland because I've been arrested by MOD police over at Fasley Naval Base <laughs> and held in the Naval Base cells and things. You know, you can't do that thing and not be classed as a terrorist by the government. Apparently. The only problem is you've got to have been caught and it's only as good as it is as the point that they do the check immediately after well, it becomes obsolete, there, arguably. There are so many fields like in like i can't even there's there's so many places in point and i can't think of any where you would not be able to check a disclosure scotland or have your like to be employee obtain a disclosure scotland and that outlines your full history so is there something like that in england where they can just go listen to get this job you need to provide a, a certificate yeah that would be the crb that would the be CRB. the closest to, yeah crb but, record check but obviously that would be the closest guy, thing i would know but but getting into so cousins were like th mm. that particular case he how was he able to get his foot in the door if there is such a thing because they didn't do the background check but 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 it's this like a ridiculous. requisite of the job you you have to obtain it for yourself you go on you apply for it with you you enter your details passport number whatever information they look for and they give you a certificate in the return that you then hand your employer it's not on the employer the employer just has it as a stipulation as part it of the should job. be on the employer you come with to, one of these but it should be on the employer if you're the police to do that check automatically yes, which is and why i'm yeah. not being able to get my head around the fact that he's been able to get a foot in at all because he should have come with a certificate that goes look Nothing dodgy in my history. Because this this then goes into a bigger thing with the UK. A lot of stuff is hidden. Like you can hide stuff everywhere. I mean, we could talk about the Channel Islands being an example. We could talk about the courts. How do you hide a criminal record of any description, though? Like if you're because... just a layperson, you're not a cop. You don't have access mm. to like file. You can't do anything about it yourself at all. How would you go about expunging that for yourself? That that would be like you would need someone. You couldn't expunge, but you've got to have the facilities for people to look. And the way this country is set up, right? So in Norway, for example, everything's transparent. So if you want to know how much your neighbour's earning, and the, I think you're allowed to know who owns the property and who runs the company and all this stuff. Okay. Everything's transparent and open, so everyone knows where they stand. And that way, because you've got transparency, it's harder to have corruption. What yeah. I think, what I think, the UK government did in the eighties and seventies is realise that actually it's probably better for their economy at that time um, to set it up to hide stuff. So the Channel Islands is a great example. The reason why the Channel Islands, so the, I can't remember the name. Of the I think it's Conservative Economist realised that the Channel Islands were a drain on UK resources. Well, how do you resolve that? Well, give them independence and allow them to pass their own banking laws. And then people can go and hide money. So they'll have like, they're like mini money. They'll be like a wee mini Switzerland. Like, yeah. The, the court systems have similar issues. Like, so if you want to, if the court, if you ran off with some money of mine um, and I didn't have your forwarding address, the courts can't find you. The only way I can get around that is to go to the banks and ask them to and say to them, you've run off with my money and I've got to do this through the courts. You've run off my, with my money. So can you put a closure on their account so that I can get my money back off them and I've got to do it through the courts? So you're hidden again. You start well, you're paying money to take it to the courts. Yeah, like I've got to go. So you and I go to court, you lose. The court says you owe me money. I've then got to commit. And then I don't have a forwarding address for you. I can't issue a reclaim off you until I've got your address. And the only other way of doing that is to go through the banking system. 
and go to every single bank until I find you or they find you. Freeze my account. And then freeze your account yeah. and give me the money back. But again, it's this constant hiding. Yeah. So like all the stuff that happened with the Panama Papers was showing how Brits, who were excessively wealthy and didn't want to pay their tax, could go and offshore it. This is a bigger, you know, we're talking about big problems. The rich hiding their wealth is a massive problem. The military industrial complex is a problem. The oil and gas is a problem. I know we sort of segued here, but this goes back to the, the yeah. police. You know, they're only as good as it looks like. They're only as good as if they check and the person tells them. And if those two things don't happen, you walk into the system. And then once you're in, it's a protected system. I'm sorry to say, we're out. <laughs> we're yeah. done. I know. This is a great chat. Um, amazing. And we lost Evie. Good to have conflict and go, how are we working with this? Thank you so much, Max. We miss you again. Oh, it's so sorry. You're a bad man. Hail the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you to Davey. Bye, everyone. Tune in next week for another exciting story from the files of Police Squad.